0: peaceful protests, we walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta,
1: you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back, our kids are gonna look
2: back at this and say, you were a part of that. I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in
1: the 60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here we gotta keep pushing
0: forward sports are like the reward of a functional society
3: Sirius XM sports presents forward progress a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America here are your hosts Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison
2: Another edition, the final 2020 edition yeah. of Forward Progress. It's Kirk Morrison. It's Jason Jackson. Are you ready, brother? Are you ready for the holidays? I, hey, I am not. I am not prepared. <laughs> we made it here, though. We made it to- today. We got here. We but here. But there better
0: be someone under that tree <laughs> on the 25th. 20- <laughs> <laughs> I have a reputation to keep around here, man. Hey, like somebody said, man, you know what? Man, your package was supposed to be here already, man. That's what uh, let me call fan. Let me call you PS. <laughs> <laughs> well,
2: I'd have a 21 and 18-year-old lip quiver of epic proportions. Even, even now. The magic of Christmas would return. Let me tell oh, yeah. you that. <laughs> oh man, we have an awesome show today. Mm-hmm. I, I know I say it every week. I'll give uh Pernell Brown the tip of the cap there because we always have. A wonderful dose. So later in the program, Michael Holly from uh, the new program, Brother from Another. You'll see it on Peacock. You hear it on Sirius XM 211 weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Michael Smith and Michael Holly uh, examine the world of sports and so much more. We'll mm-hmm. talk with the Holly version of the Michaels a little bit later. Uh, after this segment, CC Sabathia joins us. He's got a, yeah. a fantastic documentary coming up right before Christmas. We'll tell you all about it. But first, uh, as the NBA is in full flow with the preseason getting ready for a debut the same night that uh, uh, CC jumps out there on HBO, on mm-hmm. uh, the 22nd opening night. And we'll see that banner yet another like we need another one in Staples
0: Center. Number uh, 17. Ugh.
2: I could have yeah. used number four down here in Miami, but we'll let it go. Yeah. Um, but with that being said, uh, it, there's an interesting part of this 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 reopening of the se- season. And number one, games will be in arenas, right? That's Correct. number one. Number two is there are eight teams that we haven't seen since March that will find their way back on the hardwood. Amazingly right. enough, one of them would be the Golden State Warriors. Hmm. And not Tell only it. do you have a bunch of stars there yeah. that are focused, mindful, connective to the community, how about their head coach? And uh, we didn't hear from them from Orlando. Uh, Here's Draymond Green with the way that he perceived all that action in uh, the the bubble over the summer.
0: Hey Draymond, this is uh, Spears. Man, what's up, Mark? What's up, brother? Not much. Hey, um, watching from the outside, looking in. What stood out to you in terms of the uh, social justice movement in the bubble and? I assume there were some things that you wish you could have been a part of in terms of that. I thought it was great, you know, the way God stood up Um, for everyone else that doesn't have a voice. Uh, I thought that was special. Um, You know, I think, you know... Continue to get the ball moving in the right direction. You know, understanding that you know nothing is that this issue goes back a hundred years, hundreds of years. Uh, nothing's going to change overnight. But if we can continue to push that message and uh, continue to try to do all that we can to create change, is is powerful. And I, th- you know, I thought the guys in the bubble did a great job of that. I was a little worried when everybody was walking off talking about leaving the bubble, uh, but was able to you know squ- get that squared away and and um you know, really continue to use that platform to speak, like I said, for those that don't have a
2: voice. Kirk, with that, it's great to have seen those things from afar. It's another thing to be a part of it. And I wonder if the Warriors are a part of this kind of eight-group collective to try to catch up with the message and have their own
0: set. Yeah, I think that's what the bubble was missing. It, It was missing a guy like Draymond. It was missing Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. Uh, these guys are more of some of the outspoken members, I think, of the NBA as well, because they've got that built in cachet. They ain't going nowhere. Trust me. Mark, Mark uh, Lake of all of that. they ain't going nowhere. They are part of that Warriors franchise to where they can speak out in their community, their organization. But most importantly, you mentioned it before that clip from Draymond, their head coach appreciates what they do their, their head coach often says what he says as well and so I think that it's a it's a dynamic where they're going to tell how they feel but they know that they're always being watched and they're in a community too in San Francisco Oakland the Bay Area where a lot of people because I know I got family still there they look to these guys to be pillars in the community, to speak up more, to speak up for what's going on in social justice issues around, especially their own environment. So I'm happy now that we can focus and hear from them because they didn't get a chance to get down to Orlando, which I think could have been definitely beneficial to see what Steph Curry, who was... Are we saying he's one of the top faces in the NBA? Right. I don't want to rank everybody, but obviously LeBron is one. When he says something, we all stop. But then who's who's that next biggest voice, though? That when he says something, it's like must print. All right. You know, what I mean, like LeBron says something and it's it's somebody's writing a story about it in five minutes later. Yeah. And I think Steph Curry is that next person that people listen when he speaks. It is going to be wonderful to
2: have these games back in their municipalities. It's also going to be a super challenge. Right. Trying to create these these 30 different bubbles for each team in these 29 different arenas around the country is it, not going to be easy. And it's not going to be right. at that zero-sum dynamic that they had in Orlando, where it's right. you know, week after week of nobody um, controlling. I and mean, we've already seen there about and around around 10%, maybe a little, a little over with these weekly tests. So it, it, there is a safety issue that combines with this, but there also is a different approach visually, right? Yeah. Teams are trying to satisfy corporate partners. So we're going to see some logos, we're going to see, yeah. okay. so we're going to see some names <laughs> ripping through. How much of that is going to push out uh, the consistent. Um, persistent Black Lives Matter messaging. Um, That's not going to be on the floor this time around. Will it be top of mind of players to derail an interview uh, about just the day in, day out, I'll even say mundane aspects of X and O's to make a statement about injustice?
3: Right. I don't know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I I keep being reminded and it just, it keeps popping up in my head. I keep hearing that voice. Uh, of the clip. You, you've seen this clip many a times of Kobe Bryant. And I think he was uh, with the NBA finals, I believe, and he was up 2-0 and the reporter says, you know, Kobe, why are you not smiling? She, you're happy you're up 2-0. And, and Kobe says, but the job's not finished. Hmm. Like, why am I going to be happy? The job's not finished. And I think a lot of it uh, kind of starts back to the election, right? There was so much momentum going into the election and people getting out and vote. And then after the election, okay, what's next? Like, the job's not finished yet. Like, what, what do we need to do next? And now we, we'll have, you know, the Georgia Senate race and things like that that are still ahead of us. But I think now, as we get into 2021, Jax, like, what's next for the NBA? Because now, before the bubble was different. This was a time where we needed it. Mm-hmm. Now, I feel like we've adjusted all of our lives to where I don't have to turn on basketball if I don't want to. Football is going on. Baseball will start up soon. We've kind of adjusted our lives. So how does the NBA players capture the message and still preach what they had going with so much momentum in the bubble? Something else. I'm looking forward to exactly who
2: grabs that mantle along with LeBron, as you noted, and, uh, and how much of it is still there. Listen, again, this is a Six, seven, eight billion dollar business. Yeah, I get the promos. Okay, you only see it here, <laughs> oh, yeah. right? The new ones are already rolling out, right? Um, but, but there are things that are going to occur that are going to catch the, catch the attention of the player. And obviously, as we move past the twenty-first uh, day of January, there's going to be a new vibe radiating uh, from leadership. Correct. Uh, In in Washington, um, that that will be probably I I don't even think I need to say probably a little more collaboratory for uh, for players of color in each sport.
0: Yeah, I I think that's the the next part. And, you know, you mentioned it, uh, you know, this is our last show of of 2020. Mm -hmm. And so now when we turn that page, it's like. Are we starting from beginning or are we continuing from where we once were? Mm-hmm. And that's where I think that so many people want to just say, I'm throwing 2020 away. With 2021, we started anew. And I'm saying, I don't know if I want to start new. I want to build off. There were some good things in 2020 that I want to build on. And when 2021, I'm putting them down on paper and start to go out and see if I could accomplish more in 2021. Yeah. Namely, the invention of this program. We are oh, forward progress is. with Kurt
2: Morrison. Yes, you are. You're a pro. You come a on, bro. man. This is what we do. Take a quick break. When we come back, gonna hip you to a fantastic opportunity. I know a lot of people are gonna be busy on Tuesday, December 22nd, trying to start the NBA season, finish up all their holiday shopping. Uh, roll the DVR. Okay. If you can't sit down front and center, lock it in right now, 9 p.m. Eastern time and Pacific on HBO. It's the debut of Under the Grapefruit Tree, the C.C. Sabathia story. Documentary worked on by and with HBO and Major League Baseball. Uh, C.C. narrating his own tale in this one. Uh, He'll do it for us. Our next guest, when we come back here on Forward Progress. You're listening to
3: Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio.
2: The program continues, Forward Progress, Morrison and Jackson, it is a great pleasure to welcome to this program. CC Sabathia has a great project coming just in time for Christmas on Tuesday, December 22nd, 9 Eastern time at Pacific on HBO. Make sure you sit down for what will be our holiday classic under the grapefruit tree, the CC Sabathia story. CC, welcome to Forward Progress here on Sirius XM. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Man, the pleasure is ours, as we told you before we even started. Man, I just got a little taste. Our man Prudell just gave us the trailer. We haven't even seen the. G- I got to sit down with the general public on the 22nd and enjoy this, this wonderful story. And I have so many questions. I know Kirk does too, uh, but let's start for our listeners that don't quite understand
1: the title. If they don't know your story, what does Under the Grapefruit Tree mean to you for them? Yeah, I mean, so that's where it started for me. Um, you know, I grew up in Vallejo, California, um, Northern California. I grew up in, in the area of the city called the Crest, um, which is the hood, uh, it's the inner city. But my my grandparents came from Mississippi and you know, we had a full functioning basically farm in our backyard where we had our own produce, we had chickens in the backyard, we had roosters, we had everything, all kind of trees, and we had this huge grapefruit tree um that my grandmother, you know, was like a pride and joy and. Um, so it was right next, it was in our backyard, right next to, um, like the chicken coop, basically. And I would grab, I would grab grapefruits off the tree and set up a folding chair, um, in our backyard. And that would be my strike zone. So I would, I was always like as a youngster, even five, six, seven, eight years old, like grabbing them off the tree. And I would, I would set it up and I would be Dave Stewart out there on the mound and like, you know, <laughs> pitching to the, pitching to the folding chair. So, you know, everything about this doc is super authentic, even down to the name because. That's literally how I started throwing, you know, throwing was grapefruits.
0: You know, Cece, when did you uh, first was start thinking about doing this doc? Because you played a long career and then you get into the later part of your years and you feel like, man, you know, I got to start documenting this stuff. I think when you're in it, when you're younger, it's like I could do this forever. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait, 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 what's, what's been going on? I need to document this, keep it for my kids. But I want people to know my story. So when did the idea first come across for you? You know what? It um, it actually it actually came uh, from in the end of
1: 2018. I had a, a stint put in my heart, um, and I was coming up on 3,000 strikeouts into the 2019 season, 250 wins, and I was me and my wife, me and Amber, were laying in the ho- I was laying in the hospital room, and I was like, man, I think if I can get back to pitching, I think we should document, you know, on my 3,000 strikeouts, my 250 wins, just for the kids to have. Like, I didn't want it to, I didn't start to set it off to be a documentary. I just started it off, like, just for my kids to be able to document this last year and our journey of what we've been through, you know what I mean? And as we got halfway through it, we started thinking, like, it will be best to tell the whole story. And, you know, everything I went through with the addiction and, you know, losing my father and so many different people that I lost you know, along the way, um, you know, we thought it'd make for an interesting story. So, um, HBO was, was awesome enough to partner with us and you know, Major League Baseball, um, you know, provided us a lot of the footage from earlier in my career. And, you know, HBO does great work, you know, pretty much every documentary they put out is good. So I was excited to have it, you know, on their platform and what they can do with it. And it turned out to be great. So I'm, I'm excited for people to watch this. CC Sabathia with us here on Forward
2: Progress. Uh, as you noted, HBO, in association with Major League Baseball, helping you tell this story. And when I mean you. It's you. You are narrating this thing. You didn't call for Morgan Freeman or Denzel or Kurt to come voice it over for you. Uh, how important was it for you to be at the centerpiece of
1: this storytelling? It was important for me to be at the centerpiece just because of the story itself. The story is basically of me, you know, about me and my dad and how much I miss them. And the story is is for my kids, you know. Um, you know, if ever one day I'm not here and they want to hear my voice or, you know, let's, you know, watch my story or watch themselves when they were younger is there for them. So, you know, I, I I wanted it to be personal in that way because it, it's such a personal story to me, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. yeah you know, one of the things CC, I've always admired about you is that you've been a, a, a an African American, a, a black face in baseball for so many years though. Right. And growing up, I mean, you could see kids love playing baseball, but you stuck with it. Like, obviously, I went a different path. I went the football path. Yeah. But just this thing about go- going back and being that young and having so much success, if, if there were some things possibly you would change or kind of reinvent, what would you think about doing when you were so young and having so much stardom at that young age and being African-American? You know what? I would just tell myself to be
1: patient. Um, you know, just, I just wanted everything so fast. I was just moving so fast in my twenties, you know what I mean? Um, so I would just tell myself to be patient and, and just kind of let these things come. Um, you know, growing up in the inner city, we, we don't, we come from really basically nothing. So when you, when you get a little bit of something, you just want to start moving around and doing different things, helping everybody out. I just wish I would have like slowed down and been a little more selective, started my foundation a little earlier. Um, you know, and have been able to make a bigger impact in Vallejo earlier than I did. You know, later in my career, under the grapefruit
2: tree, the CC Sabathia story debuts on Tuesday, December twenty second, nine pm on HBO. Uh, CC, what was the hardest, if anything, decision to make about how much of you you were going to expose in telling this story?
1: No, there wasn't. There wasn't any uh, any reservation at all of of you know. Thinking about you know what I wanted to say or what I wanted to tell, uh, I wanted to be an open book, and and I and I went into rehab so publicly to yeah. try to help people. You know, I mean it, it was to help me, but you know, hopefully, if somebody's going through the same thing I'm going through, um, you know, they can face their addiction. I think that's the toughest thing about you know being an alcoholic or being an addict is actually facing it and 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 admitting that you need help. Um, everything after I admitted that I need help has been great. The past five years of my life have been awesome. Lead, everything leading up to that point was the struggle. Um, so if, if somebody can watch my story and just be like, you know, have the courage to, to look at their loved one and say, I need help. Or maybe I need to go, you know, take a break and go to rehab or, you know, go to inpatient therapy or outpatient therapy, however, me, however you feel you may need to get help. Hopefully this, this story will inspire you to do that.
0: You know, CeCe, what kind of led you to to go on and say, you know what, I, I need to stop what I'm doing? Because it, it's not like it happened in the offseason. This happened mm-hmm. right in the middle of a season where you just said, you know what, the best thing for me as a person is stopping what I'm doing rather than maybe a lot of people who are counting on you say, hey, we need you, CeCe. We want to win a championship. So how do you just compartmentalize and say, you know what, I'm doing this for the rest of my life? Man, you know what, Kurt? I was just exhausted, bro. Like,
1: That 2015 was such a tough year um, off the field for me. Um, You know, you'll see the doc. I was, I got caught on the balcony smoking weed in Atlanta. You know, I was into a fight, big fight in in Toronto, um, off the field, um, drunk one night. And I was just exhausted. Like, I was tired of making excuses for my teammates. I was tired of looking at my wife in the face. My kids were getting older. My son was 12 years old at this point. So he can look on the internet and people texting him different things. So I knew that I needed to get help. I just didn't know if I had the balls to like, to, to muster up the courage to, to go away or to say I needed it. But, um, you know, after that weekend in Baltimore for drinking for three days straight and not being able to, to get up and do my job, it just led me to go in there and, and, and say I needed help. And I was just exhausted, you know, and, and just had enough. And, and, uh, you know, it was the best decision I ever made, to be honest. He's a
2: six-time All-Star World Series champ Cy Young Award winner. Uh, I believe three thousand ninety-three strikeouts. Yeah. You know, <laughs> counting, right? Two hundred fifty-one wins. Uh, it's it's not quite the time for you to amp up that energy, but we all have dreams and aspirations. As you look at that resume, as you assess it against people that are immortally placed in Cooperstown, um, this this looks like somebody that's going to be standing in that field giving a speech not too soon, not too long from now.
1: I hope so. Uh, especially being being a black man, you know, and, and, and being a pitcher. Um, you know, that's important for me. Uh, I got a chance to meet Mudcat Grant when I was 17 years old. And, you know, the first thing he said to me was like, young man, you got a good fastball, but I need you to be a black ace. And I had no idea what he was talking about. I mean, I thought he just meant being the ace of the team. And, you know, come to find out, there's only been 15 uh, black pitchers in the history of the game that went 20 games in the season. And, you know, I got a chance to be on that list, so um, but, you know it's a lot of pride in, in being an African American pitcher, being a black pitcher, and, and going out there and taking the ball. So it's a great line, and it's a great history, and to be able to have 250 wins and 3,000 strikeouts, and to be the third African American on that list uh, is awesome. Being the third African, being the third left-handed pitcher to have 3,000 strikeouts is crazy to me too. Like, it's just weird me being from Vallejo, and and you know everything I've been through. to, To have these numbers in in the game of baseball is crazy. You
0: know, CeCe, what is something that possibly uh, maybe people out there don't know uh, about the Negro Leagues and how much you've done your research and how much uh, your Centennial collection, by the way. I need to go grab a couple of items from there. (laughs) (laughs) I need to go check that out for sure. But um, like... In your research and being a historian of the game, what, what is it about the Negro Leagues that you want people to to realize what baseball once was to where it is now? You know what? I think the biggest
1: thing that I think people don't realize about the Negro Leagues is they think it was like some backyard baseball where these guys were playing, you know, in some field, all you know, in wherever. You know what I'm saying? Right. Like they just think it's like, but these guys were actually beating the major leaguers you know, 70% of the time. And, you know, they're flying around. Like, Satchel Page has so much money, he's flying around in his own plane. Like, he's on the tarmac. These guys are decked out. They got their yeah. suits on, and the plane says Satchel Paige is all-stars. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. he had his own limos. Like, these guys were big-time stars. And and probably the better baseball players. You know, like, uh-huh. everybody thinks that, that, you know, MLB did us a favor by integrating the game. No, they had to integrate the game because we was kicking their ass, basically. <laughs> so, they had to bring us over. You know what I'm saying? And if you look at the yeah. numbers mm-hmm. from when Jackie integrated, you know, from 1947, for the next 11, 11 years, nine out of 11 um, uh, MVPs in the National League were from the Negro Leagues. So it's not like, you know, these guys, it was some of the talent that these guys, it was all of these guys could have played in the big leagues. Every last one of them, everybody on every team in the Negro Leagues could have played in, in the MLB, and that's what I want people to recognize. And I feel like MLB just did that today by recognizing the uh, the Negro Leagues and, you know, actually putting our stats uh uh, in in the Hall of Fame,
2: CC Sabathia with us here on Sirius XM. CC, let's draw that direct line to right now. Um, basketball's paid for all my bills, but I love baseball. <laughs> uh, and yeah. and and Kirk knows we know too much about the long term effect of his sport. Uh, mm-hmm. So what? needs to be done to capitalize on this unique time to have the greatest athletes, oftentimes African-American, gravitate to baseball?
1: You know what? I thought that it was a problem with kids not playing the game, black kids not playing the game, but they're playing. They're just not getting opportunities. I think, you know, we need to start, you know, we need to hire scouts to some of these scouts to go out and start finding some better talent. But I think the biggest thing is, that everything is based off numbers now in baseball, whether it's TrackMan or Rap Soto or your exit velocity and all of that stuff. So, me as a kid growing up in Vallejo, I wouldn't have had a radar thing to be able to put my exit velo behind every swing that I take, or you right. know, my spin rate on my breaking ball. So, I wouldn't have been, I wouldn't have got drafted. So, it's it's up to us as like our current major leaguers to get this equipment and get this this technology, you know, widespread across the country, so we can get some of these kids and start getting into these perfect game tournaments this you know prep baseball report uh baseball factory some of these bigger um showcases so they can get scouted but I thought it was a problem with the kids not playing. The kids are playing. We just got to go find
0: them and do a better job of scouting. You know, one of the things also, Cece, that I was seeing is that, you know, throughout your career and in just watching kind of where you're at now, um, baseball is, is different, right? We don't have those same faces that we once had. It is mm-hmm. now primarily either a, a white sport or uh, of Latin descent type of sport. So with that being said, how does baseball, you think, I think, try to bring in more of the African-American culture within the game. And we've seen guys, you know, who've protested, who have done, try to bring some, uh, you know, awareness to social justice. But what more can baseball do to bring the African-American culture into the game more? I honestly think just, just, you know, catering to the culture,
1: whether that's playing the music in the stadiums, you know what I'm saying, loosening up different things, playing the music during the innings. Like you know, right. like like make the game fun. You know what I'm saying? Like let's enjoy this. Um, and, and I think I mean getting back to the point of, of the youth. I think you know, you, if if you got a kid in high school that plays football or if he plays baseball and he's equally as good in both, you can't get a full scholarship to to play baseball in college. So if right. the kid if the kid can't afford to make up that difference and for the baseball scholarship, guess what? He has to go play football. So they're they're almost pricing us out. It's become a country club sport in the, in the in the sense that. We can't even afford to go to play it in college, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, you're
2: absolutely right. I live right across the street from University of Miami, which has a storied program. The only person gets all that money is that Friday night pitcher now. Yeah. <laughs> everybody everybody, everybody, else, else, then, everybody else is on 20% scholarship. Come on, man. There's only 12. <laughs> only 12 with 30 dudes hanging around, man. Yeah. Even more complicated with, with COVID now because some of these uh, classes are staying an extra year. Yeah. And so it's it's unique for the young player that's coming out of high school now.
1: I think the oh, JC is going to be a big uh, uh, can be a big component for us as as the black, you know, community getting kids back in the plan. And Tim Anderson came through a JC. You okay. know what I'm saying? So, you get more tra- chances to get drafted if you go to a to, to a JC. I know kids want to go to a four-year, but if, if you're a high school player and you can't get to a four-year because of everything that's going on, you go to a JC and you get you, you got a chance to get drafted after that season. The next season, you got a chance to get drafted. And then if you don't, then you can go to a four-year. You know what I'm saying? So That's actually great
2: advice. Great advice, you see, What was it uh, – actually, let me ask the question this way. What was the anguish that existed in your high school head football and head basketball coach uh, when, when, they, when they couldn't fully get you, when they couldn't just <laughs> have all of your
1: attention? You know what? I think, I think me as a youngster, everybody knew my path was okay. going to be baseball. Um, I played those other sports for fun and because I was good at them. And and but I think everybody like kind of knew like by my senior year, like I, I would I would catch passes and then like slide and, and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like I wasn't, I wasn't taking no hits. Nobody was getting at my knee. Nobody was gonna hit my elbow. Like, my senior my senior year in high school football was
0: I was in bubble wrap basically. Phenomenal. <laughs> CC, uh, for for our listeners out there and the people who will be kind of watching clips of this, um, you have a Oakland Raiders or I would say Las Vegas Raiders or just say Raiders helmet behind. That's the L.A. That's the LA Raiders, right? Okay, there. so you going L.A. Raiders? Okay, that's LA, yeah. Uh, that being said. Um, I, I've been seeing the post-career workouts that you're doing. So, I know you're done playing baseball. Nah. But are you possibly taking up maybe, I, I don't know, you going to go tight end? Deep? <laughs> what are you doing right now, CC? Because you look like if I put some pads on you, you're walking around looking like Jadavian Clowney right now. You jumped <laughs> up, man. I'm, I'm
1: watching. Nah, I'm like an offensive lineman. You know how the offensive linemen lose all the weight and they get lean when they, yeah. when they retire? <laughs> That's me right now. You know what I'm saying? If the Raiders have like a fantasy camp or something, something where you can put, uh, put pads on and go play, I would definitely do that for sure. But
0: how, how has that been, though, in your post career or two, though, because obviously you were a bigger pitcher and, mm-hmm. you know, I know you would cut diets and do things during the season. But now in your post career, uh, it seems to me that you've taken more into weightlifting now that you don't have to worry about pitching, you know, for uh, for half the season or yeah. half the year to say. Yeah. And, you know, uh, the very last
1: pitch I threw in my career, I, I basically ripped up my whole shoulder. So I tore my capsule, my labrum, bicep, everything mm. tore. So that after that, I knew I, I wanted to, like, build up some muscle. Um, you know, the, the one time that I lost a bunch of weight, I think I lost, like, 45 pounds one year. And I got down to 265, but I was so skinny and frail, and I wasn't strong at all. So I knew mm-hmm. that I wanted to, like, you know, keep the muscle, like, keep my mass, but turn it into muscle and not have so much of a stomach. So that's basically what I've been doing. I mean, um, you know, when, when I started everything back in January, I was, like, 315, Um, right now I'm like 285. I want to get down to like 275, but you know, there's, there's no rush. You know what I'm saying? Like I ain't got nothing to get. (laughs) I ain't got no spring training. Like I'm just hanging out. I'm enjoying it. So I'm really enjoying like, you know, lifting like I'm going to the beach every day. I'm getting ready for the, for the Vegas pool parties. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
2: No uh-huh. doubt. Uh, see, I keep it a little bit easier, CC. I just got to fit in the suits. It is,
0: I don't even know what that weight is. You yeah, yeah, don't, uh, don't know about that. You don't know about Jason. When doing the suits the start getting when the suits start getting too tight, like, oh, I got to hit the
1: gym. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing the next game on uh, Friday with Ruko. So I, I was just about to ask you if that yeah, was right. Man, a little Bernie told me that was true. I'm super uh, excited. Uh, 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 tell us how you came to that and what you're looking forward to. Uh, Ruko just asked me if I, if I'll be into doing it, he knows that I hate, I hate wearing suits and I've always told him I'll never put on a suit to call a baseball game, but I will 1000 put on a suit, uh, 1000% put on a suit to call an NBA game, especially if KD's playing in it. So I'm just excited to, to be able to like, you know, watch the game up close and get some insight and, and, uh, you know, I'm a big, huge, huge Hoops fan. I mean, obviously Jason, you know that. So yeah. mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to be able to call this game.
0: All right, man. Last question for me, man. It's the most important question of the whole interview because this is a Sirius XM platform and music obviously drives the Sirius XM as well. But we're we're coming upon one of the most iconic versus battles ever in the series of versus battles. Yes, sir. You are from Vallejo. I still call it Valley Joe. Still (laughs) tons of family and friends there. But E-40 versus Too Short in the verses, battle, and I know it's a friendly versus, but uh-huh. man, when you hear those two iconic names, what does that do for you, your childhood, and just music in general? Man, you hit it right there, just the childhood. Like, that takes me back to, I mean, Too
1: Short was literally probably the first rapper that I, I heard rap, you know? So mm-hmm. um, Too Short, Mac Dre, E 40, like, this versus is going to be crazy. Like, my wife been playing all E40 music the whole week. You know what I'm saying? So we <laughs> excited ready, to turn huh? up. It's going to be fun, man. I, I, it's just great for the culture, great for us. I mean, obviously, you know, being from there, we, we, like, we're, we're unique. We got our right. own thing. We speak the way we speak. We talk, to, you know, we dress the way we dress. And for for everybody to be able to see it, you know, for the world to be able to see it live is going to be a lot of fun uh, on Saturday.
2: Before we get out of here, is it next, Nets or Knicks
1: for you? Next. JJ. I can only root for one loser, man, and that's the Raiders, man. I, I, I got <laughs> <laughs> oh, gonna kill me, man. But nah, I, can't, I can't go to the guard. I got my team's gotta win in the winter time. After the Raiders do what they do, they always start off six and two, six and three. Yeah. And they come to the East Coast, lose a big game, and then the season's over. So, you know. Now, now I can, you know, get ready to watch KD, but but before it was the next, it was it was the Warriors, so I always got to root for a winner in the wintertime. <laughs> <laughs> Tell Ryan
2: and uh, Sarah we said hello, my man. We appreciate sure. you. We look forward to the documentary coming up on the 22nd HBO 9 o'clock. Thank you. C.C. Sabathia with us here on Forward Progress. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, Michael Holly. Uh, Another fantastic, serious partner. Uh, The show is called Brother from Another with Michael Smith. So the Michaels are side by side uh, from 3 to 5 p.m. weekdays. Uh, Mr. Holly will be with us when we come back. Here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM
0: Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison.
2: As advertised back here on Forward Progress, it's Kirk, it's Jacks, and it's Michael Holly. Now, Michael's this is how you do it right here. Not only do you get a new show with Peacock, then you convince MB Sports, throw it on the audio channel on Sirius X You can catch him and Michael Smith, brother from another. Uh, on Sirius XM 211 weekdays from 3 p.m. till 5 p.m. We got to get you out of here. You got prep to do. So we'll get you in and get you
3: out. (laughs) Oh, hey, Uh, hey, hey, look, look, we're we're, we're blessed and thankful for uh, the arrangement. And you mentioned the prep. That's a blessing, too, because I've known Michael Smith for 21 years. So our prep, our prep is pretty much the phone calls that we have daily. I love right. it. So I know it. He, he can't even pretend like, oh, he's gonna mm-hmm. surprise me today. I know pretty much where he's coming from most of the time. Michael,
2: tell us about the the project and and the, and the platform you all have, and how do you want to utilize it in this space?
3: Yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's a great question, Jason. You know, it 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 kind of it came together very quickly, and the idea of it is just to have this show with a sports base be an extension of our relationship and our conversations. You know, I know Michael Smith, as I said, uh, for 21 years, I was supposed to be his mentor when we both worked at the Boston Globe, but uh, it, while the mentor-mentee relationship was us hanging out, talking about music, and, and just really getting to know each other. So we, we clicked immediately. And so we talk about sports, just like we do in, in real life. We talk about sports, we talk about politics, we talk about music, we talk about food, we talk about our wives, our kids. And so I think it is a full, it is just a full dimension of, of who we are. And it's not just us. I think it's relatable because I think a lot of people are like that. They don't just stick to one lane, as some critics will have you think. Mm. Hey, if you're going to be talking about music, just talk about music. Don't talk about anything else. If you're going to talk about politics, don't talk about anything else. But I don't think real life works that way. So it's a, it's a very authentic show.
0: You know, one of the things, Michael, is that you've been around different places, and then when you have now this new space, what do you take from the prior places that you've been to and bring it toward this sort of national stage to kind of appease everybody and not just the people in maybe that specific area that you've worked in?
3: Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's a great question. Uh, fortunately, I've, I've covered a lot of uh, I've covered a lot of events over yeah. the years, and I, I think the opportunity just to meet different people and to talk with different people and see that even if it's somebody who has been boxed in as one type of person, whether that's politically, uh, they're a progressive, they're a conservative, uh, they're from the East Coast, they're from the West Coast, they're from another country. I, I never look at people that way because of my experience of talking to so many different people and seeing them have range. I, I think that informs our conversations constantly. We, we'll never just get stuck and and portray somebody in in one way. And I think that helps. I think that helps our conversations because not only do do we surprise the audience with the way that we look at things, sometimes we surprise each other. Yeah. Uh, I'll think Michael will have a certain view and he won't. And he'll say, oh, I know where you're going with this. And no, I'll give him a curveball. (laughs) Right.
2: Michael Holly with us here on Forward Progress. It's Kirk Morrison, Jason Jackson. You can hear Michael with Michael Smith, brother from another on NBC Sports Audio on Series XM, 211, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, weekdays. Uh, as you guys put this all together uh, on, on a daily basis, uh, what do you find tugs at you the most? What, what, is it always the kind of the sports base that pulls you? Or or, or because of the time we're in, there's so many other things that pop up and percolate.
3: Yeah, I I would say sports lately, but right before the election, Hmm. uh, we just found ourselves going in to talk about the the time that we were in And, and we didn't back down from it. And, and, and I know that a lot of people were we knew we knew that once you start talking about politics, even if you are trying to tiptoe in there, once you get into that subject, you're going to you're going to alienate some people. But once again, that's just from my journalistic training. I, I say this to Michael on the air sometimes. Say My journalism gets in the way sometimes <laughs> uh, because I'm always I'm always giving someone the benefit of the doubt. I'm always saying, well, wait a minute, there's got to be another side to this story. Uh, even somebody as polarizing uh, as our 45th president, Donald Trump. There, I, I always say this can't be it. I hear a lot of people say, no, no, that's what it is, bro. That's what it is. <laughs> and, and I say, no, because everybody has dimensions to them. So, yeah, we talked about we talked about politics a lot. Um since the election, we've talked about sports. Uh, we, we talk about our families uh, quite a bit, too, because the fall fall in the Holly household is crazy, man. Uh, we got uh, my wife's birthday is on Halloween. Uh-huh. Then my oldest, his birthday is on November 1st. <laughs> and then, then we got then we got December, uh, you know, two weeks before Christmas. So like the, the birthdays and, and the family time is off the charts this time of year. So we talk about a little bit of everything.
2: I struggle oftentimes with fully understanding what we're here for, Michael, (laughs) because I take very seriously the diversion that we are for the great multitude of people who show up uh, to hear what we usually do in these sports forums, uh, particularly the live game dynamics. Uh, Kirk and I uh, have a a real big responsibility that people sometimes don't even consider that angle of they're banging their head against the wall nine to five. Right. Right. Uh, If that's their life. The, the one thing they want is that space coming up at 7 or 7.30. Yeah. Uh, and, and particularly for the heavy load that we present with the NBA and Major League Baseball, even more so. But as I get older, I'm like, if you show up, <laughs> you knew what you were coming for. <laughs> you knew you were a catch. And that's what was so refreshing uh, covering what happened uh, in the bubble. And what I think will probably continue, particularly in the NBA with this messaging about what's right, what's correct. What's fatiguing for Black people Ooh. at this point? Um, your, your thoughts on on what we're about to see with this new NBA season?
3: Oh, Jason, that that that's so good. What you just said, you know, I heard um, I heard Doc Rivers say something uh, last week that just really it just stuck with me. Uh, he said he being in the bubble was was transformative for him because. Mm-hmm. He was able to see a lot of a lot of players, obviously much younger than he is, take their anger, take their disappointment and turn it into something much larger than themselves. Like He, he was very transparent. He said a lot of them wanted to leave. A lot of them wanted to, to be out. But then they all on their own without Doc or anybody else from another generation coming to wag their finger at them. Uh, they on their own, they decided hey, if we go off on our own. We are all our individual voices But together We've got a platform And we've got strength So let's stay together And and make a statement And they did it I think they did an excellent job But he also said something about politics He said he has some players Who have come to him over the years And said man I really don't get into politics And his response to them is Well if you don't get into politics I guarantee you politics is getting into you Whether you like it or not There are decisions being made about you and you can either engage and try to change the course of those or just stand back and let decisions be made without you having any type of agency. So I would advise you, it's what he tells his players, I would advise you to get involved because this is what everyday people in America do. And so I I think that's, I think that's a powerful statement, fellas. I think that's really powerful. And I think it's true. Especially when you hear those who say, well, I I don't really want to bring this into the conversation. There are many things being brought into conversations that we just take for granted because they're not necessarily controversial, Mm -hmm. but they're outside of the sports realm. I'll give you an example. NFL. And it's a positive thing. The NFL has the Walter Payton man of the year. So you'll be watching an NFL game and they will focus on a player from each team. And they will say what that player is doing in the community and has nothing to do with sports and no one says stick to sports because that's a evergreen message and it's kind of like it's it's neutral it's neutral like doing well in the community great when you start to get more specific and people find themselves disagreeing with what you're saying that's when you get the that's where you get the pushback of hey stay in your lane <laughs>
0: You know, Michael, one of the things I was um, c- kind of interested in hearing from you is that in this now virtual space that we're in now, where we don't have or we get the chance to get those relationships or those tidbits or what's going on or what's a player truly thinking, right? I watch a Zoom after an NBA game and it's, you know, right now it's blah, 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 or the NFL, same thing. I'm not getting those same stories or guys yeah. who may want to talk. How do we bring that out, especially moving into 2021 where was like this space isn't going anywhere
3: it's challenging Kirk That's a, it's a it's a, it's a real issue and it's something that uh, every journalist uh, has to fight through especially in this realm because we're so used to um, in sports there's a group hit there's the press conference in front of everybody then you pull somebody off to the side, the side and you have right. a conversation with them and you get a little I mean that, that Jason, that's how you made your career. Come on, Come on man. <laughs>
1: nah,
3: I can't do it. <laughs> but it's hard. It's hard to do that now. Uh, I think we have to wait it out. The one thing, we just got to wait. Right. And the other thing is try to do some things outside of those Zoom spaces uh, that allow you to connect with the player. So a player might say, all right, yeah, I know I have a game uh, on a Wednesday night, but this weekend – I'm going to be doing something for my foundation, or I'm going to be here on behalf of this organization. And for you as a journalist, I think it helps to, to show up for that too. Not only, not only does it prove that, that you're willing to, that you've got a work ethic and you're willing to go where the story is, but it, it also tells the athlete that you see them as a human and not just as a commodity. I, I know I got one last one for you.
0: Um, If there's something that people can take from you and and Michael's show, brother from another, what's that one thing that you want listeners to take from you guys every day?
3: That we're just being ourselves. We're being ourselves. Just be true, be authentic. Um, We, we don't, we don't make up any takes. Mm -hmm. If there's something, if there's something. You're not looking for the hot takes. You're not looking for the hot takes. takes. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) Mike, you take this side. I take that side. No. And it, and it's not perfect. Right. And we're comfortable with our with our insecurities, with our vulnerabilities. You know, we all got blind spots. Right. I got blind spots. Now, sometimes and I'll tell you about Michael Smith, sometimes he'll take advantage of him. He'll just like push the <laughs> push. <laughs> <laughs> but I do the same thing to him too. But really, I want people to feel like we are in your living room and you are in ours. And that's really what our set is. Our set is each other's, our our, our actual living rooms. It's not a barbershop because a barbershop could be exclusive in some ways where, hey, certain, uh, the fellas can hang out there, but nobody else. No, this is a living room where everybody, it's a family room, everybody's conversations, everybody's contributions are valued. Michael Holly, along with Michael Smith, brother from another on NBC Sports
2: Audio, Sirius, 211, 3 to 5 Eastern Time, weekdays. Michael, come on back. Bring Smith with you next time. Mm-hmm. We'll sit here and chop it up here on Forward Progress. He's
3: such a prima donna. He said, I am. I'm gonna bring him here. I'm gonna bring him here. And I want you guys to really grill him. Okay. Oh yeah. Don't worry. I want you to ask some unfair questions. Uh I just want you to push him. We might fight a hundred years of skin color issues in the community. <laughs> oh, listen. That's funny. Like last thing, like, last thing we have a uh, Vinny Goodwill from Yahoo, who comes on every now and then. And Vinny without fail. Vinny, who's my complexion, Mm -hmm. will come on and say to Mike, you know, Mike Smith, that is some light skin logic. Come on. like, Oh, bro. Bro. We've got to solve this.
2: We can't (laughs) keep talking about this out loud. we got to overcome this. We ain't going (laughs) to do it. That'll be a summit when we have you back. Hey, man, listen, happy holidays. Tell us, Vinny, we said hello. Uh,
3: Well, happy holidays to you brothers and your families, too. Appreciate you. Thank
2: I you so, it much. Mike. <laughs> uh, so much. Thanks to Michael Oh, So much fun. This. That was fun. Uh, thank you, partner, as well as CC Sabathia. Our producer is uh, Pernell Brown. Kirk, happy holidays to you. I know we're wrapping up for the year. So, uh, as we quarterly say to one another this time of year,
0: see you next year. Man. Uh see you next year, Jason. Appreciate it always, my man. Everybody, we'll see you next time here on Forward Project.